Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. When I move on to something, some, a conversation that it's time to have according to Jackie. Now, Jackie is Jackie Furlong. She's a relationship and parent mentor. And she works in Middleton and she works in Turner's Cross. And Danielle was her daughter. Danielle died very young, very, very young. She died at the age of just 22. And up to then, she'd lived a happy, fruitful, fulfilled life. And she was in the process, as many 22-year-olds would be, she was in the process of traveling the world and seeing the world for herself. And she had a very close relationship with her mom. But then she died in 2007. And for the seven or eight years after that, Jackie went into a deep depression. Ended up on medication. And for seven and a half years, she just couldn't deal with it. She couldn't deal with the grief. She couldn't handle the grief. She got through that. And then last summer, she completed a master's in the psychotherapy of relationship mentoring and her thesis was based on how we deal with grief and Jackie believes I think you do anyway Jackie Jackie believes that grief is something we need to learn from childhood as a life skill almost that we need to teach our children from as young as they are able to take it in that grief will be part of their lives because we're not equipped, many, many of us are not equipped to deal with grief. Morning, Jackie. Good morning, PJ. And thank you for this because I think this is a conversation that I think needs to be brought out now. And I think I'm ready for it, even though, yes, it's it's for 15 years now, maybe 16 years since my daughter passed away in 2007. She got a diagnosis of um, um, an aggressive cancer of the liver and within five weeks she was gone from us. She was only 22 at the time. I cannot comprehend in my mind how to handle that. And I didn't. I couldn't either, to be honest with you. And the beauty of writing this thesis for me last summer was that it brought me back there, a place where I was not going. I was not going. But I knew I had to go there, PJ, because I was not living my life in a way that was making me happy. You know, I was struggling all the time. And even this was 14 years later. So the night my daughter passed away, I believe, and I said this in my thesis, that I went into a shutdown mode. 
And I think many people would recognize that sentence. I went into completely shut down mode. I believe I learned to do that from my past. And I locked away, closed my heart. And I believe my heart was already closed, to be honest, because I didn't know how to let these emotions in or out or up or down. It was so overwhelming that I shut down and I went into uh, I went into kind of what I say, <clears throat> put into sixth gear, put the foot down and just went on with life like nothing had happened. Let's go back a little bit to not when Danielle died, but when you knew she was going to die when you knew that the cancer was going to take her. That's where this starts, isn't it, Jackie? I think so. I think you're, you're spot on there, actually, now. Because now, I haven't gone there before. Now, Peter, you're opening up an old wound here. <laughs> um, let me just think about that, because I think my daughter had been in Thailand for two weeks. She was supposed to be there for however long they go at that age, right? There were a gang of them going. So she had gone to Thailand sick. And I think there was a gut feeling in, in me, there, you know, that mother instinct. There was something more going on here than we were seeing. But again, we ignore that and we want to see our children happy. So off she went sick. And within two weeks, I had asked her, I had asked her that if she found herself going to the doctor and being in hospital to do not end up in hospital in Thailand, please come home. <laughs> and she did. She actually did. She came home within two weeks and she stood at my door. And when I opened the front door, um, what I saw was just, oh, she was emaciated. She had lost so much weight. Within the two weeks, she was gone and she was very sick. And um, from the minute I got the phone call, she was coming home. I rang my doctor and by the time Danielle did get home, within two or three days, she was in the bonds. And I said three days later, PJ. <sighs> Sorry. You're okay. You're okay. They told you. I'd say three days later, um, by the look and by the conversations we were having with the doctor, it had gone from the hope that the diagnosis was hepatitis C to um, a doctor telling us that, no, this is not that. And I'd say it was about, yeah, about three day, three or four days. Within that week, we heard the words, you, you, yeah, you need to contact uh, family abroad. Right. Um, um, that's where the basis of my thesis came, by the way. Those five weeks, it was so difficult. I could not deal with the emotions there. So you're right. You're, you're spot on. It started there in the hospital that I, I went into my control mode again. I went to the same way. I went to the same place that I went to the night she died, back to where I knew how to cope, which was ignore everything, get into a controlling, managing place in my head and stay there. And I stood, I stayed there until seven years later. Let me pose another question to you yeah. D did did she know her condition was terminal and did you talk about it before she died no no pj it's uh see this is all part of at the moment my grieving process and i think this is why i'm now able to reach out and talk about this and bring my story out there is because and that's what's important isn't it that's what we're doing you and i now yeah. we are talking about the most difficult thing that we need to talk about and so it is my belief that I don't think she knew she was going to die. Yeah. But I think that's a mom telling myself, I, do not, I didn't want her to know that she was going to die. That's the way I'm looking at it now. That's the way I feel it now. I didn't have the conversation with her. It is a massive regret of mine. 
that I wasn't able to have that conversation. When I say that out loud to myself now, I'm saying, what difference would it have made to me and to her had I had that conversation? I don't know, PJ. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. How do you have, how does a mom and daughter, a mom, a, a parent and a child have that conversation? I don't know. Even though, actually, my daughter was an adult. But in my eyes, she was my child. Agreed. Agreed. So I was still protecting her. And I think in protecting her, I was actually protecting myself. But I couldn't go there. I sometimes think that people like Danielle and others, they know it in their own heart. I they do. I think we all know. Yeah. Yeah. When yeah. the time comes, we'll all know. I do. I do think that. And I think <clears throat> possibly it's why she did have a peaceful passing, you know, um, and I was with her. I was in the bed with her. She was in my arms, you know, and um, yeah. And uh, yeah. I'm sorry for asking those difficult questions, but the reason no, that I uh, did ask them was where I want to take the conversation with you, Jackie, is, and it's mm. the study you've done, mm. grief and dealing with grief as a life oh. skill. It's yeah. one we don't teach. It's one we don't even want to learn. Yeah. But isn't it something that inevitably we should learn? That grief yeah. is real. It's going to come. It is, yeah. And grief is not just about, this is an important, an important statement. Grief is not just about the loss of a loved one. It's much more than that, you know, and it's, it's, it ties in with our suffering, you know, and we, we're all part of the suffering community. You know, it, suffering is part of our humanity, but we don't talk about it. We talk about living. We don't talk about dying, but they're connected, you know, and it's, it's true. It's through all our relationships from the second we're born that we that we need to start sharing this information. You know, um, it needs to be in our education. It needs to be in our homes. There's nothing wrong. But you see, the thing is, the thing is, you see, <laughs> is that we've come from, um, I suppose, a strong culture that was dominated <clears throat> by, you know, our, our teachers, our priests, the Catholicism, you know, and we, we've come from that past and we, we're still bringing it with us, you know, that sense that we have to do it this way, we must do it that way. Mm. There's still a fear out there of letting out how we feel, that, that we can't cope with it, that it's not, we're not going to fit in with society if we behave like that. Our anger, the the level of anger that's out there, PJ, and this is what brought me to you, is is listening on the radio every day. It's getting more and more. You know this, the level of anger that's on our streets, that mm. that's in our homes, yes. that's in our schools, you know. And we just need to find a new language around understanding that. And and how do you link that? If you do, maybe I'm assuming you do, and you're not. How do you link that, Jackie, to grief? Because if we, if, um, of course, this is a big conversation, but to, put, to do it quickly, we'll say, I lose myself because that's the best way to do it, is when, when I struggled for the seven years following my daughter's passing, I was in a very depressed mode, right? I just was not living life honestly and openly. I was still bottling up, shoving away all those feelings. And it, it was manifesting in a way that I was always angry, frustrated, annoyed, you know, and that's what people on the outside around me were seeing, you know. 
Come back to the the learning process to pass on mm. to our children. This I'm particularly mm. interested in. So mm. if, if I was to ask every listener to sit down mm. and think of four or five people in their world whose passing they would struggle to handle, we'd all yeah. have that list. We have no yeah. idea because we don't learn how to deal yeah. with that passing. Yeah. When yeah. should we start to learn, Jackie, do you think? With yourself, you start now, right now. And it's not with the person who's lost somebody. It starts with yourself. Because if you can understand why it is that you find it difficult to approach somebody who's lost somebody, if you make that about why it is you're feeling that and try and understand that, and the only way we can do that is by looking at our own story. Where, where in our story did we stop feeling or did we stop understanding what it means to be sad, to be angry, to be upset, to be depressed? Why, why are we like that? Why, why do I find it so hard when somebody across close to me is really broken and crying and you're feeling that or you're not feeling this because you, you don't know how to approach it? You know, people who, who can't, people who can sit with somebody who's really broken and crying and upset, understands that level of suffering and can sit with them. But somebody who doesn't understand that level of suffering hasn't touched in with their own suffering. I think we're very good in in Ireland at Mm. the funeral process and the, you know, the the closest one to me that I can remember is is my dad Mm. in 2018. People Mm. were amazing. There Mm. was no words for how good people were to us in that that space. But afterwards, afterwards, you're left to deal with it yourself. Is there a point, Jackie, where we kind of think, well, Jackie should be okay now. It was months ago. Yeah, I just want to say when we go to a funeral, you see a funeral is out there and a funeral is a place where you're allowed to cry. It's okay to show your feelings. Because it's expected almost, and yes. it's a place where, okay, but sometimes for a lot of people, a funeral is a place and a wedding is one place where somebody who's holding back a lot of grief can actually grieve for, for those couple of hours and make it about the person who's died or the, or the person who's getting married. But that they're actually their own feelings of grief that's coming up, that's surfacing, you know, we touch into it. So, yes, when we leave the funeral and leave the person behind and we go about our own business and about our own lives, we're now stepping away from that. So now we have to go about our own way. And it's too difficult now to go walk back into it. But the hope is that the person who is suffering is okay now. But they're not. They're not. And don't not pick up the phone. You know, don't be afraid to call. Let's go and have a cup of coffee. You don't have to talk about the person who's died, but you can encourage, make a place, make it easy, make it easier for the person across from you who may now have an opportunity to speak about. uh, Because I never wanted to stop talking about Danielle. Yeah, that's one thing I remember about no matter how sad I was or how upset or how much depth of grief I was in. Anyone who asked me, how are you? I would launch into talking about Danielle. Whoever would listen, I would talk about Danielle till the cows come home. Mm -hmm. But another person may not be able to do that. But that was just my way. And I think I was looking. I'm always a talker. (laughs) I like to talk. And I've always tried to express myself through talk. That's another way that I have managed my grief was by talking. It was a way for me 
to manage my grief, yeah. Rather than sit there and bawl crying for two hours, I much preferred to talk. But it was still a way of expression, as my writing is in my thesis. When Danielle comes into your mind, although she's probably never out of it realistically, but when she does come into your mind, there was a way in the past that you weren't able to deal with that. Now there is. What's the difference? The difference is, as you just said it there, Danielle's always in my head. You'll hear anyone who speaks about their lost loved one. They're always with me. But for me, she was always in my head. So the anger was stopping me from allowing her to come down into my heart, stopping me from opening my heart to bring her in now. Let that anger go. You know, what should I have done? Berating myself for being a terrible parent. Terrible. Why? It's all my fault. But I'm able to let that go now. It never was your fault, but you just didn't know that. No, not at all. But sure, of course, it has to be when I can't look at the... It's easier to say it is my fault, right, and be angry than it is to say, than it is to hold that hurt and pain that I couldn't hold within myself as a result of her dying. The other difference, too, is when I talk about Danielle now, it's, um, it's more about myself and how I am. The focus now has come off her as such. I can tell you what happened, but now I can talk about myself and where I am and, you know, and how I am and, yeah, and then share that. And then that opens up a conversation for the other person because now I'm open to hearing. You see, now I can listen to you and listen to somebody else's sad story or tragic story or trauma. So important, PJ, to have these conversations. And thank you. I really enjoyed it, actually, which is a bizarre thing to say about such a, a, a <laughs> difficult conversation. Well, there you are, yeah. But I have enjoyed our yeah. chat. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. You're welcome, Jackie. She has a lot to say about it. And we should start teaching children when they're small and teaching ourselves from now, from this moment, that the people who are around us that we love most, they're not always going to be there. And and how we how we deal with their passing is something we should possibly practice for a long time before it happens. It's a hard thing to practice for, but there you go. There's a new podcast called Conversations in Grief. It's a series um, set up and run by and for Anam Kara. We'll discuss that next. We're talking about grief. Yeah, just JackieForlan.com is is her website. Um, and I'm just... It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Thinking back about my conversation with Jackie, I remember, uh, as I said in the course of talking to her, my own personal experience, the experience that's closest to me and most recent to me is my dad. And I remember being learning something at that time. And every time anyone I know loses someone since, and whether it's somebody close or just somebody that was important to them, it's one thing I, I warned them about, and that is watch the exhaustion. I remember after, after dad died, the funeral and the doing the paperwork and all that old stuff that you have to do. I remember the exhaustion that hits you like a freight train. And I will never forget that. To the day I die myself, I'll never forget the level of exhaustion that I dealt with. Now, it passed in maybe a week, but by God was it exhaustion. Total mental and physical exhaustion. Uh, And that was the thing I warn people of when a loved one passes now. I say, look, take care of you and watch out for the exhaustion. And the number of people have come back to me afterwards and said, well, you were right about the exhaustion. This series of podcasts um, from anamkara.ie called Conversations in Grief. Sam Whelan Corton is the, is the producer. Sam, where did the idea come from for it? Good morning. Good morning. Um, so Conversations in Grief um, is very aligned to the work of Anamkara themselves because they're an organization, as they set up by bereaved parents to help themselves and all bereaved parents cope with this grief and, and loss and, and to journey on. So the series came about from they'd been doing meetings and developing resources you know, across the country for, um, for many years. And a key thing in that is that sharing stories and parents hearing stories of other parents who might be a bit further along in their grief journey or parents just taking that moment to share themselves is a key thing and a key support for people to have that honest space to share and I suppose with the with the podcast series then was to take that and make it more accessible so we had a number of really um, brave parents who put themselves forward to share you know in lots of different circumstances lots of different ages you know at different stages in their journey who wanted to share their own experience and reach more parents i suppose because there's parents across the country many who don't have a chance to talk to others you know and maybe who aren't at the stage going to a meeting or, or reaching out for that support so the podcast series was really a way of broadening things out to to take these stories these these really important stories and bring them to more people yeah. i listened to a couple of episodes uh, sam and one thing i'm learning from them I, I i think i would probably have recognized it anyway but there is no right way to grieve there are no rules Absolutely, and I think you know, as in it's it's that commonality in, in hearing, you know, as in as say lots of different circumstances, lots of different kinds of loss, and lots of people at different stages, and there is absolutely no one right way to grieve. It's kind of everyone comes across it now. People have that often have that thing of you know feeling like going mad, you know, as in that they're sort of lost in their grief, but 
there, you know, that's that's part of it, you know. And there is, you know, there's no guide, there's no single guidance to how you do it. I think something that the parents say themselves so many times is that whatever you're feeling is the right way to feel. Yeah. Whatever is going through your head, you have to kind of go with it, and and find your own path through it and find your own kind of way of connecting and, and being with the memory of your son, your daughter, your child. Because if you start thinking what I'm supposed to do, what is expected of me, you, you can take yourself into a dark space. You Today is today, tomorrow isn't even promised to us. And that's how you deal with it. Exactly. And I think, you know, there was... We're preparing for releasing another few episodes um, coming up soon. And something that somebody was saying is, if some days, you know, if you feel the need to put the the duvet over your head and stay in bed, that's the that's the way to do it. Yes. Some days you want to go out and and talk to your friend and and find that right person to talk to. Or some days you go along to an animal care meeting. There's no one way to do it, and it is, you know, in you're the expert in your own grief in a lot of ways. You you know yourself. And, you know, so no matter what the loss is, you have to kind of follow your instincts and your path on that journey. And I think there is that piece around, you know, so finding ways to, to find that bit of hope because, you know, so grief doesn't end. You know, I think um, uh, what a lot of you know, people say is, how, you know, so the well-intentioned friends might be like, oh, you know, so time to move on or... Yeah, even in the harsher circumstances, are you not over it yet? Is something that really would break somebody's heart. Yeah. But there is no end to that grief journey. However, your life kind of grows around it, and it's finding those ways to to grow your life and grow the memory of of your child, your son, your daughter, mm-hmm. with you, and 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 you know find that life for and with them. I'd be inclined to think, Sam, and maybe you've come across this in your experience that someone who would say to another person are you not over it yet clearly has never been in that space and hopefully they never will be no that's the thing exactly because I think you know as in uh, you know as in different people will have a different experience of grief some people not at all and that's the thing and I think with with losing a child it's a very particular kind of grief yes. that people don't understand and People have, you know, and I think most people have a good intention when, when, when interacting with um, parents who've lost a child. But, you know, sometimes they might actually try to avoid talking about them. You know, they don't want to bring up the, the loss. But what I find is parents really want to talk about their yes. son, their wonderful son or daughter. And like, as in, when you listen to the series, like the vividness of, like, I feel like I know these children, these 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 wonderful people that these parents have lost. I feel I know them now, having talked to the to the wonderful parents who shared their stories, because they want to be asked, you know, mm. and they want to have the moments to talk about it. Now, sometimes it still can be hard. Like, some people will cry, people will laugh, people will do all sorts of things. But you know, it is the case of having mm. that moment to share and talk about well, it. I would co- compliment you on on the way you did it, because you literally just said to them talk and you let them talk exactly and that comes from that that ethos of Anam Kara, which is like i say 
which you know and they've been they were set up in 2008 and they've been creating these groups across the country now and what they know from those meetings which is really parents coming together and and talking and sharing their stories some people sit in the room and just listen they might not say a word mm. some people will talk and share and that's what i suppose we're learning is just it's to have that chance to talk i mean you know we all know it like some talking is a powerful thing and getting out and no matter what your experience but i think particularly when you're in those moments of grief and in those moments of loss just to put some words around it and to be able to kind of to say and i say like as i say in the series i say very little you know um we kind of we wanted to create a good safe space for the for the, for the parents to talk but they they share and like they're so vibrant and they're you know and they talk and give advice to to other parents each has their own unique perspective around what mm. they think might help or be a value to another parent um, and they're so good in sharing that because mm. that's what you need to hear particularly i think we think about parents who might be in their early stages where you know the first year the first two years the first four years it can be you know it can be a black hole of, of, of feelings but there is as i say when you listen to the stories of others, there's moments to hear and get hope in that as well. Yeah, I want to talk to someone you have uh, spoken to, um, and Colette, and we'll do that after the break. I'm speaking with Sam Whelan Corton, who is the producer of Conversations in Grief. It's a podcast series for Anamkara. Just before I go to the break, I think we all know someone who has lost a loved one, and remember one woman in particular who I won't identify but she'd lost a child when that child was only five years old and the woman lived to be 78 or 79 years of age but no conversation with her, none was complete without a story about the little boy who had died and it became part of any relationship he had with her you could be talking about the weather or the price of fish in the English market but a story would come in about the child that she'd lost. And that was how she, in her own way, dealt with that grief for the rest of her life. If you're interested in that podcast, Conversations in Grief, it'll be on any platform you want it, or you can go through anamkara.ie, that is their, their website. Uh, she's not up there yet. We're going to talk to Colette Griffin from Cove in, in just a moment. Sam, was there any particular one that struck you when you go through a series like this, were there particular things that struck you that you had no idea would come up when you began it? I think, um, like, some, we'd, we'd chatted and we talked and we'd kind of, you know, was in, met with a number of the parents um, who've been involved and have been, you know, as in volunteer parents with Adam Carr, for instance, for years. But I think um, what I was struck by was some of the kind of things, the common aspects of the stories. I think of, you know, as in, Mac, who lost his young daughter, um, and you know, in the experiences, for instance, that you know, in dads can grieve differently to mams, and just the, you know, the impacts on relationships, and it's it's a very wide hitting. It kind of your life changes, you know, yeah. as in, and I think that thing, but your life is never the same again, and that's a really hard thing to hear. And I think what we try to do is be honest, you know, as in, you know, as in. Nobody in the group is going to sugarcoat it, but there is that message that it will get better. And I think there's that piece where, you know, 
think I was touching on it earlier that all the parents talked about their life growing, or you know, it's growing their life around their grief. You know, the grief stays the same size, mm. but they find ways, and they find ways to bring their son daughter. I think about like some, you know, as in Mac who you know, and did you know, little Annabelle who'd be putting the the the. Um, the star on the tree every Christmas they find ways to incorporate the kind of you know, that tradition or writing her name on on, on the Christmas cards you know and signing them off from from uh, from all of the family who and the family still includes that you know and I think yes. there's that question that comes up of how many children have you now parents who've lost a child might answer that in different ways but that is one of those things that that son or daughter is still very much part of yes. that family, you know? Yes. And I think that I, I, I kind of had heard that before we started having these conversations. But the thing that really struck me from all of the parents and all the families that we talked to was just how true that was that, you know, as in, I, you know, as in, I think of Kathleen who lost three of her of her children you know she lost them um over a period of time but they're still so with her you know she still has them in her life and in her family and i think that's something that became really resonant just the the presence of of um the memory and the different ways in which people connect to it whether it be you know they might be volunteering as a way of kind of you know as an or fundraising or doing all these different things or or just going for their walks and keeping that memory with them mm. they all have their different ways of doing it you know um whether that be um you know some true celebrations of the life or just you know some taking the moment every day yeah. to um to think about it well, like, like i said before very, the break of that that woman who lost a, a child when he was only five and she lived into her late 70s and no conversation was complete without a story. It could be 20 seconds, but no conversation in her life was complete without a story. That's how she dealt with it. You know, that's how she that's how she dealt with it and people were used to it. Let me bring in Colette at this stage. Colette Griffin is uh, from Cove. Sam, you've been part of the podcast um, with Sam, uh, Colette. And good morning to you. Um, talk to me. It was 10 years ago now that, that Sarah died. Um, tell me about her. It'll be 11 years now in April, unfortunately, yes. yeah. Um, and they're just flying by. Just seems like yesterday, to be honest with you. Um, Sarah was 19 and in the prime of her life and loving it. And she was killed in a two-car collision just five minutes from home. So it was very, very sudden. Um, there was drink involved. The other driver had been drinking, but no blame. But it was a portion. There was no evidence to say what caused that crash. Right. But drink driving to me is... It's, that's the thing that brings the anger up in me. And if I see anybody or hear of anybody drink driving, I just pray they're caught before some, some other family suffers the devastation we're suffering. But, um, yeah, she was she was a trainee hairdresser up at um, Origin there in the city, and she was just loving life. She had some beautiful friends. She had a beautiful boyfriend, whom I'm sure thought she was hard maintenance, high maintenance at the time, because she was for him. But she loves them as well, you know. It's an incredible it's time of life, life isn't it? Nineteen, yeah. Colette. They're they're Everything. not. They're they're still children, but they're not. Yeah. They're on that verge, and I yeah. cannot <laughs> comprehend what it must be like to lose her at that point. You know what? It's, uh, it's it's just the worst thing that can happen to any parent. 
I don't care. I lost my house in bad business moves. We've never got a second house. Who cares? You know, we've had, I've been sick. Tom's been sick. Sarah was the healthiest person alive. We lost my mom. I thought it was the worst thing that could ever happen to me. She died before, just before, two weeks after Sarah died was my mom's first anniversary. And she lived with us and we were devastated because she was Sarah's grandmother and she was her godmother at the same time. Sarah just adored her. And when my mum died, and to to the day I die, I'll believe, my mum died, she had a chest infection. We got South Dock in the middle of the night. He said, she'll be okay, gave her an injection and whatever, because she had a complaint. But she shouldn't have died, you know what I mean? She wasn't her time. And I'm convinced she died to be up there waiting for Sarah. I really am that she was, yeah. it was all, it's all marked out for us. And I lived my life with that. Yeah. Sarah died the night before my mother's birthday. Oh, and I always remember my brother saying, I'd just come from the grave, I put flowers on Nan's grave. And I said, well, I put nothing on Nan's grave because we just called her Nan because of all the kids. Because she's after getting Sarah. Yeah. But you know what now, and I know it sounds, probably sounds a bit daft, but mm. it gives me great um, peace of mind to know that my mother, Sarah, is with my mother. That's how you reconcile it. I do, I do. Because yeah. I think your day is marked out, my day is marked out, nothing will avoid it. We might get second chances, and please God, anyone that does will grab it. Mm. But it's all marked out. Most of us only get the one shot at life, it's marked out for us. And you know that I said the word reconcile, that that's how you fit it in to yeah. your head. Is, oh, it is. Is yeah. that, Colette, what has helped you to come to terms with, an awful word, I know, but come to... No, you're right. Yeah, we have to come to terms with it. If we hold on to the anger and all that, we won't live. And we must, we must remember our children lived. They didn't just die. Mm. My child lived, she loved life. Okay, I didn't love life for a little while after she died, but I do now again. And I live it for her. And I, everything I do, every morning I say good morning to Sarah, my mother. At night I say good night. And every time in the day, no matter what, what's happening in my life, I'm talking to Sarah. Really? And it's like Sam said, if, if talking about them helps us so, so much. And it's not just, friends and you know family sometimes families can't talk to you about your child some of my members can others can't mm. that's life but by going to Anamkara which Sam was talking about there who did those podcasts Anamkara I'm convinced Anamkara and the Irish Road Victims Association they've been my two they saved our lives myself and Tommy they saved our sanity yes. yeah. because when we found um, Anamkara which Tom actually found a, a tour guide out in Blarney. Tom's a coach driver. And he heard about Sarah's death and he gave another driver some pins, Anamkara pins. Mm. And he said, will you give them to Tommy, the guy that comes out here on tours? The English lad was what he called him. Mm-hmm. And Tom came home to me with him and I, I told him where he could put them. <laughs> but he did the research himself and he got on and they arranged for him to meet a woman in Middleton. I wouldn't do it. So he didn't do it. Anna and Clara were on a break until September. Mm-hmm. But come September, we went to our first meeting. And that was the year Sarah died. And we're still attending them. And we would be lost without the support. Like Sam said, that's a safe haven. And we is it that, save. Colette, everybody in that room, with you and with Tommy, that everybody in that room 
gets it? Well, every single person can put my shoes on and they'll walk the same road. Same journey, they'll feel the same pain. You can put my shoes on and you'll walk a different road. You can't buy They get it. They get it so much and more so the parents like myself and Tom have no surviving children. And Cara run a group for us as well. We meet a few times a year. And that's an even better group for us. And I know now that sounds awful. No. But sometimes I don't want to hear about your child's debts or your grandchild's christening. Sure. I want to hear from the people who have no future, like we have no future because our children are gone. Sure. You know, but there are so many parents out there who should just give Anne and Tara a try because I was one of them. I went for Tommy. Mm. And at the first meeting, I said, I won't be coming back here. Good luck. I was so sad. I know. But now... It actually, and I know this would sound a bit mental as well, but we do sound, we are a little bit done off our game as far well, as I'm well, concerned. Well, lo- losing your daughter at the age of 19 would set you on a bit mental, yeah. I would have thought. But <laughs> we are, we, we can laugh at it like you can there now because we know they're up there, they're proud of what we're doing in their memory, they're proud of Anna and Cara, Sharon Bard, the girls that started that, her daughter Rachel must be so proud because Anna and Cara is helping so, so many. You can go for one meeting, you mightn't go back for a year. You can go for five years, you might pack up for five years. Yeah. No question that. You can sit there. I, Sam, I'm laughing at Sam saying, some people don't talk. That was my Tommy. He went to meetings for years and he didn't open his mouth. But every time we come out, we are physically and mentally drained. But we can't wait to go back then again. No. Because I looked at... Valerie and Julie were the two coordinators when we started. And I looked at the two of them and I thought, you're here, you're doing a job to help others. Both your children are dead. And so if you can cope like that, I will, I will be able to as well. Yeah. And I follow on the people that I look ahead at. And I want other parents to look at me and Tommy the same way and realise, unfortunately, your life doesn't stop when your children die. No. It doesn't. It has to go on. But how you live it can make a big difference to yourself. Can I ask you lastly, um, Colette, about where I started this chat this morning um, with Jackie, that we, it's not a skill, it's not a life skill we learn no. dealing with grief. Um, yeah. But we need to... Un- we can't we, we it's it's going to come into our lives, isn't it? All of our lives. Some like you and Tommy's case, so suddenly you didn't see it coming. It's going to come into our lives. We all should we, we need to have more conversations like this. Definitely. And you need to like look, I know I would have been one of the parents. If God forbid if somebody said to me so and so down the road, their child died this morning. If I saw them coming towards me, I would have ran. Because I wouldn't have known what to say to them. Yeah. And so if somebody walks across the road on me, I don't take any notice. But other parents get upset. I don't because I would have done the same thing. Mm. We need, now I talk about Sarah everywhere I go. Those podcasts, they've physically drained me. And I said, no more, not doing any more. After the first one, I did the second one. That will be it for me. We need new blood to get the message out there. Because even though it, it hurts some days, somebody can talk to you about your child 
and it might be the day you're ready to cry. Even 11 years down the road, that can happen. Mm. But you still want people to talk about grief and talk about, and even for themselves, they will learn. I, I, I thought, and I, I still say it, grieving a parent is, is horrible. Mm-hmm. But grieving a child is the worst. It's unimaginable. So, we, the, you know, the natural flow of life, your parents will die. You cry, you carry on, you'll die, your children will carry on. But we have to talk and we have to get people to talk about the grief, any grief, no matter, it doesn't have to be their child, God forbid, and I hope it never is for someone, but about any kind of grief, because that opens it up for everything. I have a nephew and he's in his 20s now. And when Sarah died, he was devastated. But he could walk into a room and he would say to us, if I'm sitting there feeling a bit low, you look a bit sad. Yeah, I am. Are you thinking about Sarah? I am. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking of her yesterday. Yeah. And I can tell you now, that child brought me on so much because he wasn't afraid to say Sarah's name and to realise, yeah, she's sad, but no wonder she is. That's, that's, that, that, that's a fantastically perceptive young Oh, my God. Chap. Yeah. It is. And if we can get our youngsters to do that, you know, I when Sarah died, I told her friends move on. Not for me now, and I didn't. I don't mean that in a bad way. But I said they're too young to be carrying this grief. And you know, sometimes young people they don't glorify, but they they cry for a few pints, and they're over crying for a friend who died. Yes, they need to move on with their life and remember the funny things and live nicely. I know. And I did say that to them, but afterwards, then a few years down the line, I'm like, why did I do that? Because I don't hear from them. You, you know what I mean? I They're all having good lives, thank God. Colette, I'm going to have to leave it there. For, talk to people and encourage them to talk, talk to you. Talk to them, yes, please. All right. I'm going to ha- have to leave it there for no reason other than time. Um, thank you, Colette. Colette Griffin. And um, Sarah's 10th anniversary, 11th anniversary coming up in April. I hope that will be okay for you. Sam Whelan Curtin from Alan Carra, who produced the podcast called Conversations in Grief. And Jackie Furlong, who came to us wanting to start a conversation about grief. Quartz 96 FM. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.